welcome to Brain Chat. I'm Dr. Mitzi Joy Williams, your board-certified neurologist and MS specialist, and my mission is to engage, educate, and empower those affected by MS to become an active part of their healthcare team. Here on Brain Chat, we'll be discussing all things MS, health and wellness, advocacy, and we'll even throw a little bit of music and music therapy in there as well. Thank you so much for joining us, and stay tuned for the next episode. Welcome to Brain Chat. It is Dr. Mitzi Williams, your board-certified neurologist and MS specialist, and I am so excited about tonight's Brain Chat. I've got two amazing global MS advocates to talk about MS around the world because we know that MS does not just occur in the U.S., but it is a global condition, and there are many people who are doing amazing work, not just here in the States, but around the world to advocate for those um, who may not be able to advocate for themselves. And so I've had the pleasure of working with these two uh, wonderful women uh, on an advisory board that we'll talk about a little bit later called MS in the 21st Century. And first, I will bring up uh, Stanka Patra, and I will also bring up Trishna Baradia. Welcome to Brain Chat, ladies. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I am so excited um, to speak with you guys. I wish we could see each other in person in some wonderful place across the pond. But of course, life is virtual because of COVID. Um, but I'm so excited to see you virtually and talk about some of the amazing work that you are doing. So why don't we start by you introducing yourselves and telling us a little bit about the work that you do and how you got into advocacy in the MS space. And we'll start with Stanka. Okay. So hello, everybody. My name is Stanka. Uh, I'm from Romania. Um, I was diagnosed with MS approximately nine years ago. Um, and at the time of my diagnosis, there was so little information about MS, in, at least in my home country. Uh, and I couldn't find any support groups. I couldn't find any other people that had MS that I could talk to. So there was nobody I could rely on with information and support. So, and that uh, kind of led me uh, to start my own support uh, and counseling group for people with MS in my hometown uh, called Smile Center. Um, it, it's just a small uh, group, uh, but apparently helps a lot of people locally. Um, it's just counseling and support, and it just made the community that I so much needed at, my, at the moment of my diagnosis. So I'm really proud of that, and that's how... Uh, from making that group uh, happen. That's how I got into contact with other large groups and then with international groups of people with MS. And that's how I got, uh, I even in the MS in the 21st century steering group. And uh, I'm also an MS uh, global ambassador for MS. And I'm, um, as of recent uh, months, uh, also part of the steering committee in the MS Brain Health um, organization. So uh, I try to help. I feel, sometimes I feel like I'm not doing anything. Like I, tr I, I would do so much more, but I feel like I'm, I can't do as much as I would like to. But uh, even just talking and sharing my story, uh, I found that uh, helps a lot. And just talking about MS, that's so much, so, so important, at least here in Romania where nobody talks about MS, just being very out outspoken about it and not being um, at such taboo subject, that's also very important. So that's how I got uh, into where I am right now. Awesome, um, awesome. I don't know if I should talk about my personal MS, but... Because uh, I'm really lucky, but... Because uh, I told you I have it for nine years, but... I'm really lucky that I, I didn't have many relapses. Um, I've been on treatment for uh, a lot of years and I'm really hopeful for the future also. Awesome, awesome, amazing. All right, Trishna. Hi everyone, um, I'm Trishna and I'm based in the United Kingdom. I was diagnosed with MS in 2008 at the age of 28. And very much like Stanka, actually, I got into, involved in, in, into advocacy because my diagnosis wasn't a great experience. Um, mm. I wasn't given much information or support, no signposting. And I kind of felt like myself and my family had been thrown into this black hole. And mm. we kind of had to 
do everything for ourselves. And I thought, well, and I is part of my upgrade, upbringing, I think, I've always been taught that if you don't, um, if you think something needs to be changed, don't just talk about it, do something. Um, and that's where my advocacy really started. And I started by volunteering with various MS charities in the UK. But then very quickly and quite organically, um, then started to work with other organisations, including the pharmaceutical industry, non-profits, um, healthcare professionals and healthcare systems like the NHS in, in the UK. Um, and now I, I do lots of things um, within advocacy. So I do consulting, I speak at a lot of events, I do a lot of writing, a lot of co-creation of information and services. Um, and I'm also a patron and ambassador for various organisations, so including the MS Society um, in the UK, Asian MS, which is one of the support groups which works under the umbrella of the MS Society. Um, I'm the patient engagement co-editor for the DIA, which is the Drug Information Association Global Forum magazine. Um, I'm a member of the editorial board for Neuro Neurology and Therapy Journal, which is one of the Springer Healthcare Journals. Um, you name it, I'm also on a national, um, national task force to improve diversity in clinical trials in the UK. Yeah. Um, being someone who is Asian living with MS has brought about some very, I would say, unique experiences because, I mean, Stanka mentioned that, you know, people in Romania don't talk about MS. Within the Asian community, we also have that. People don't talk about long-term conditions and disability. And there's a lot of prejudice and stigma attached to not being very well or having a disability. Um, so that's actually one of the passions of mine it's to try to improve diversity within healthcare, try to mm. improve um, the way in which MS and disability is seen within the Asian community. Um, I actually have a number of family members who have MS, it's not just me, so included, and there's about I think four of us, including my identical twin sister. Um, so it's something which has been very much a huge part of my life since, you know, since 2008 and actually earlier because of the other people who were diagnosed um, yeah. in my family. Um, so, yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. Um, just uh, probably a fun fact, because I like to throw something fun in. Um, as a result of my advocacy, I was actually chosen to take part in a special four part edition of Strictly Come Dancing, which is um, Dancing with the Stars in the US <laughs> um, in 2015. So um, I always say to people that, you know, being diagnosed with something and getting involved in, in advocacy you never know where it might lead. You might end up dancing on television like I did. <laughs> right, right. Amazing. And okay, so you guys have said so many amazing things um, just in this first part. So let's just break this down a little bit more. So I'm a huge um, proponent of self-advocacy. You know, in a perfect world, you know, our healthcare system will be great where we provided all the information you need. I certainly do my best, but I don't do a perfect job. Um, you know, but the thing that I love, um, starting with Stanka, was that you said, listen, there was no support groups, there was nothing going on, so guess what? I got it started. And so, you know, that's one of the things that I encourage, you know, my patients and the people that I get to serve to do. If you see a gap and you see that it doesn't exist and you see a need, you might be the person to start that initiative or to work in that area. Now, of course, everybody can't do it on the same level, but um, I love the fact that you saw a need and you said, okay, well, I'm going to start it. You know, it's small and it's making a difference and look at where it's led you in terms of the other things that you're involved in, which we'll get into a little bit later. And then for you, Trishna, um, you know, unfortunately here in the U.S., we also have um, 
many patients who experience what you did when you were diagnosed, where they don't um, feel like they have the support they need, they don't feel like they understand what's going on, and they begin to seek answers themselves. So I love the fact that you were like, okay, the answers aren't here, but I'm going to get what I need. And that has led you down this amazing path. I promise every time I go on LinkedIn, I see you doing something. I'm like, okay, Trisha is speaking again. <laughs> Let me go see what Trisha is doing or, you know, Stanka's on this panel. Let me go see what she's doing. But Stanka and I get to do a lot of things together. So usually if she's there, I'm there too. So um, it, it's really cool. Um, and so talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what, um, you know, encouraged you to get started and say, okay, well, I don't see this uh, this uh, area being filled. Let me get in there and see what I can do. So, because for some people, when they're diagnosed, there's something about taking that first step to say, well, maybe I'm the person, you know, that can do this. And so, how do you take that first step into getting into advocacy? If if I can start first. Um... For me, it was really interesting because at the moment of my diagnosis, um, I was so scared. Uh, like I said, there was no, not much information and nobody I could talk to that had MS and that I knew had MS, um, that I didn't tell anybody I had MS uh, for six months. I couldn't even tell my mom. I kept it as a secret. I went to my doctor's appointment. I was in the hospital for two weeks because I had my functional um um, my lumbar function, function done mm-hmm. and a lot of tests and I g- went through all of that uh, alone. I couldn't wow. tell anybody. I was really, the sentiment that I had was of shame. I felt mm. very ashamed for having a mess and very mm. defeated. And uh, so at that point, uh, after six months of just dealing with this by myself, um, I came up with a plan that I... Um, when I would tell people I have MS, I would not uh, tell them like I have this disease and I'm a victim because that I, I hated when pe- that people would put me down or say, oh, I'm so sorry, you're sick and mm. would uh, look at me in, in a certain way, like uh, would pity me. And I, I couldn't bear that maybe because I'm very uh, like a proud person or I, I don't know, but I, that triggered me to mm-hmm. uh, want to do something. So when, at the moment when I told people I had MS, I also told them I had a plan to do something mm-hmm. else about my MS. Uh, and mm-hmm. I actually joined a um, local um, competition called Swimathon. It was a charity um, event where you would uh, roll in your um, case and uh, would, uh, it was a swimming competition. And uh, you would gather people and make them bid uh, on your project. Um, and just to raise money for a cause. And I enrolled my project in the Smile Center, uh, and I needed money to make the website and to make the, um, uh, everything to, make, uh, to start the project. So mm. that's, uh, that's how I enrolled it in the local competition. And I invited all my friends. I told them, listen, I have MS, but I'm also doing something about it. You can help me. Let's raise money and make this project work. And I, I gained a lot of strength, even because people wouldn't look at me just like I'm a victim. They would look at me like, okay, she's sick, but she's also doing something about it. And just like Trishna, I feel like she's such a positive person every time I see her. She mm-hmm. has MS f- for ten, for oh, more than 10 uh, years, and she's dealing with it with a smile on her face every day. And I want to be that also. Like I strive <laughs> to also have a smile on my face every time. That's why it's called the Smile Center. <laughs> people are so upset and so uh, when they have a mess, when they are at the moment of their diagnosis, because I went through all of that at the beginning. I was very upset and depressed and it's normal, but I don't want to stay there. So I just yeah. want to encourage everybody else to pa- get past that. It will pass and you'll, you'll feel better. So, so I think that was my first step, my first trigger. Yeah. So I love that. So, you know, to combat the fear um, and some of the shame and other emotions that you were dealing with with your, your, your diagnosis, you decided to make a plan um, to see how you could help your broader community, how you yeah. could do something within the MS community um, to make it better and to also hopefully keep people from having the exact same experience that you had. So that that is amazing. That's amazing. So, I, I, I also, so making I feel- a plan. Maybe I was, 
I don't know, I wanted to take the focus from me to mm -hmm. the broader issue. And uh, I wanted to do this uh, smile center, this uh, counseling and support group for others, because that was my focus to help others. But by helping them, because we did uh, for over a year, we did a, a group counseling uh, session with the mm. psychologist. We had, uh, it was really interesting and really um, a great success for our group. But by helping them, I found out it actually helped me back because I, yeah. I created the community that I needed and I didn't have. And I also could talk about my problems in a space where everybody understood yeah. your uh, issues. Yeah, and that's so important, you know, and one of the things that I try to stress is that, you know, even though I'm a physician, I see people every day with MS, I've been treating people for years, I don't understand what it feels like to have MS. So even though you have family and you have other people right. who are great support, you still also need to connect to the MS community because those are the people that will understand you the best. And if you can do that in a supportive environment, you know, um, especially with what you're talking about, Stenka, um, it's extremely important, you know, and I also encourage folks, if you try a support group and that's not the one for you, because I have some folks that say, well, I, go to, I went to this one and it made me really depressed and I didn't want to go back. Um, if you try one, it's not the right one for you, then try another one, but you need to connect in some exactly. way. Um, and be a part of the community because they understand MS in a way that I never could, even though I see it a lot and I treat people and I serve people a lot. So tell us what was kind of that tipping point for you, Trishna? Uh, so I think the tipping point was, so actually I saw something literally, I think it was yesterday, it was on Instagram, I think, and it was a caption that said, no one will advocate better for your own health than yourself. Yes. And that's really where I was because I was handed this diagnosis and essentially given a list of four drugs. And I was told to go away and come back in two weeks and tell the doctor which which drug I wanted to go on. Now, yeah. I had no idea. Um, and it was very much about, well, I've got this essentially for life. I need to know this condition inside out. I need to understand how I can make things as positive as possible for myself and my family, um, whether that's to do with choosing a drug, whether it's to do with your care plans, whether it's to do with finding the right support networks. Because if you're self-advocating and you're putting yourself in the best position, then you're going to be in the best position to help other people. Um, and I think that's really where it started for me, because I thought, well, I'm not going to be able to change the, the situation that I was in unless I started to look out for myself and do all the research and find those support networks and things like that. Because it was only then that I could then start recommending to other people, well, this is a really good support network or have you thought about subscribing to this blog or going to this event or have you found out about this organization or this support service? Um, I think that I, what you've just said about finding the right support is really important. Now, the very first support group that I went to wasn't the right support group for me. And, you know, it would, I, at the time of my diagnosis, I was working full time. I was very active. I was playing competitive league field hockey. Um, really? I, I did not yes, know yeah. that. Oh, I where did you, yeah. you playing hockey? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a I hockey girl through and through. Yeah, no, my it. whole family is a hockey family. My dad is over 70 and he's, he still plays internationally. Really? Can you No, believe? does mom play? Yes. Oh, mom, okay, does, okay. mom doesn't play so she's always been the biggest supporter but i'm um, okay. so i have so i mentioned i have an identical twin sister i also have mm -hmm. a younger sister as well mm -hmm. we've all played like literally since we were kids um, i love you dance zumba very so <laughs> interestingly so the dance came in because about gosh it would have been about six or seven years after i was diagnosed it was increasingly becoming more and more difficult to keep up with playing hockey 
because of the impact it was having on my body. My fatigue was, it, I mean, I was playing a match. It was wiping me out for two to three days afterwards. My muscle fatigue was getting really bad. And I mean, basically it got to the point where, where I was a danger to myself on, on the pitch. Um, mm -hmm. I was getting injured because I couldn't get out of the way of flying balls quick enough. Um, mm -hmm. Landed in the ER with some pretty horrible injuries. Mm. Um, and that's where my dance came in because I thought to myself, I need to, I want to get, exercise and staying active has been a huge part of who I am always. And I thought I need to find something else that I love just as much as hockey but something that I can do where I don't feel like I'm letting anyone down if I can't keep up with the pace. Because when you're playing in a team sport, you have to perform to the same level as everyone else in the team. Also where I wasn't getting injured because I couldn't get out of the way fast enough. And also something which was inclusive. So if I was to relapse and I needed to, for example, use a wheelchair or a mobility aid, Playing competitive league hockey wouldn't be possible, but dance still would be. So this is where it's that sort of, you have to change your mindset. It, mm. it was very difficult to give up hockey because I, I say I was born with a hockey stick in my hand. That's <laughs> how much it's a, it's a part of me and my family. Um, but I, I didn't want to think, well, I've lost that part of my life and always regretted. I wanted mm. to say, okay, well, my MS has brought me to a certain place and has made me change direction. And in, my, in, in the case of my exercise, it made me change in the direction into, into dance, which I, I love. And actually people who, who know me, who haven't known me sort of all my life, they think about Trishna as being a dancer rather than a hockey player. Um, wow. So this is really where that change in mindset and also the support as well, because, you know, the, the support I had from my hockey team was fantastic, but I also found within the dance community a different kind of support, um, particularly because one of the classes that I do um, is a, it's an inclusive class. So in that class, we have, um, so there's um, a lady with cerebral palsy. We have um, somebody who is an amputee, somebody who's visually impaired. Um, everybody, we all have um, our various issues, but mm -hmm. we all come together because of a love of dance. And actually doing those classes has, has made me, um, so one of the things, it was one of the first things that I thought about when I was diagnosed was, does that mean I will need to use the wheelchair? And that really, really scared me. Mm -hmm. But with my dance classes, seeing what everybody else is doing, and we have a number of wheelchair users, I think actually it doesn't scare me anymore because I've seen what's possible. Um, right. And that's, again, where that support network and having that positive environment and doing positive things um, can can really really um help i digressed a bit from your original question no Sorry that's amazing that. <laughs> though that's ama so 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 one thing that you said that i i really think is important to stress um you said a lot of things um that are important but one piece that i think is really important to stress is this shift in mindset one of the difficulties that many of the people that i see on a regular basis um face is when they can't do something that they used to do they can become very kind of stuck on that one thing and say, well, gosh, my life is over because I can't do this thing. So I love how you said, I can't do this. It's not safe, but let me find something new that I also love and let me focus on doing that. And so I think that that's a really, really valuable lesson that's difficult. It, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, I see many people that really struggle with that. Do you have something that you want to add to that, Stenka? Yes, <laughs> I actually do. Because uh, before I was diagnosed with MS, uh, I never ran in my life. I never jogged. I did a lot of... Um, G I went to the gym, I did uh, Pilates or I swam, I, whatever, but I, I never ran. And when I was diagnosed, after my diagnosis, my, I remember my neurologist telling me that I should stick to the um, uh, really slow, 
um, exercises like Pilates or yoga or stuff like that. And I should never run. And mm. I took that as a personal ambition. I don't know why. And I start challenge. I, like I'm gonna show like them. a challenge. I don't do know. It. Like if you can't, if you tell me I can do something, I will prove you I can. And I, I started running after I was diagnosed. I started jogging uh, slowly and slowly. And um, after about a year of training, I um, competed in um, a, a semi marathons, and then I ran 35 kilometers. And I wow. I run now. I run now. You and run. I, Yes, and it's amazing. 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 Yeah, and it, it triggered. It was triggered by um, by the fact that I was diagnosed, and yeah. from uh, from a lot of other um, points of view, my life has uh, improved ever since my diagnosis. Uh, I like uh, Trishna said, uh, you have to take care of yourself first if you want to take care of others. So yeah. I learned how to take care of myself, how to listen to my body. If I if I need more rest, I'll take that rest. I eat healthier. I I try to stress less. I I'm not very good at that, but uh, I, I wish try we to. all were. <laughs> I think that's the hardest challenge. That for is me one of the hardest, but that's less. so amazing. You know that actually after diagnosis, you found ways to take better care of yourself and yes. pay attention. I mean, if I could carry you guys around with me all the time to like all of my talks, like you would just give the talk for me because I mean, you're saying everything. Um, it's so amazing. So let's shift gears a little bit and let's kind of talk about MS on a global scale. So I've heard you talk about many themes that are very common to things that we see here in the U.S. Um, definitely people need information when they're diagnosed. They definitely deal with different feelings of fear. Um, you know, some people have great um, experiences when they're diagnosed and have someone that they're able to talk to and kind of talk through things. And others still have folks who hand them pamphlets and tell them to go home and look at them. You know, but are there um, issues that are unique to your parts of the world or challenges for people living with MS in your parts of the world that may be unique um, versus maybe what you have heard of experience from those here uh, where I am across the pond, so to speak? Well, in Romania, MS is very atypical from mm -hmm. the rest of Europe and from the rest of U uh, US from a lot of uh, points uh, of view. We don't, um, first, the, the, the subject that bothers me the most is access to treatment mm -hmm. because it's not the same for all European countries. We are part of the European uh, Union. We should all get the same treatments, and but we don't. Mm -hmm. And that's... Uh, it, it has improved in Romania over the last years. Uh, there, uh, there's a, another big um, Romanian um, organization that is fighting for this, for access to treatment. Um, I actually uh, am a part of that uh, association as well. Um, but so it has improved over the, the past few years. But I remember when I was diagnosed, we only had one course of treatment and that was wow. all. You couldn't choose anything wow. it was like take it or leave it okay i'll take it um mm. so even now we have a few uh, treatments available but not all of them and not the most revolutionary one not the latest ones so it's really challenging like i said i'm lucky and i don't need all those uh, the latest uh, treatments available but if i were in a critical phase of my ms and i needed the less the latest development, the latest of this and the best of science, I would be very frustrated not to be able to access the treatment that exists, but not in my country. Yeah. Like that's, that's yeah, I could imagine that's very tough. Yeah. yeah that's very, very tough, tough to, to handle. Yeah. That, that's my biggest uh, concern about uh, mm -hmm. inequality. There so are I other issues, of course, uh, even access into buildings uh, in Romania, it's chaos especially if you live in um, smaller uh, cities, because in larger cities or in big, um, in developed parts of the Romania, it's better. But in, I, there are a lot of people living in the rural parts and they don't, if they are in a wheelchair, I don't know how they handle themselves, how we don't even have good roads. Um, mm, so you mean physical access to like the doctor, like in terms of roads yes. and transportation. There are okay. so many issues with that. There are so many socio-economical issues connected mm -hmm. to MS that 
interfere with your um, with that with this disease. So I think that's yeah. particular to it's different. Of course, it's different in different countries, but so the access to treatment that's my biggest issue of okay, inequality. Gotcha. Okay, gotcha. What about you, Trishna? Uh, so I'd say that something which is probably quite unique about the UK is that we have the National Health Service. Mm -hmm. um, so essentially that means at the point of access, healthcare is free. Um, mm -hmm. We all pay taxes and contributions towards obviously running it. But at the point of access, your healthcare is free, which is absolutely fantastic. And I am so grateful for the NHS. However, it does mean that often people are waiting for a long time to get a diagnosis. Mm. It can mean a long time to wait for an MRI scan. Um, in terms of access to treatment, if the treatment's not approved um, by our, our body, which is called NICE, um, it means that even if something is licensed, it doesn't necessarily become available to to people on the NHS mm -hmm. um, so I would say that's probably a uniqueness I think the other thing is is that the UK very much like in the US actually is very very multicultural mm -hmm. and traditionally MS has been seen as a Caucasian um, disease that affects young women um, I actually had a conversation with a general practitioner, and uh, I think that's an MD in a mm -hmm, doctor mm -hmm, in the US. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and she's actually she's a she's a black GP, and she said to me that when she was in medical school, um, when they were doing the module about MS, they were told to look out for um, a Caucasian woman, yes. young, presenting with eye symptoms. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. I know many Asians who have MS who initially were told, well, it can't be MS because you're Asian and Asians right. don't get MS. Uh -huh. um, and so living in that multicultural society where you might be waiting a long time for a diagnosis anyway, and then having to fight for, you know, to be heard really uh -huh. and to be taken seriously, um, I think can be an issue. And I also, um, I don't think there's, uh, there hasn't been enough research or enough awareness raised about how MS affects different communities. Absolutely. What those cultural um, specific issues can be and how is it that healthcare professionals can learn more about it to better address the issues when they're, for example, in a, in a clinic appointment. Um, that's one of the reasons why I do so much work with, for example, Asian MS, um, mm -hmm. which is, as I mentioned, is one of the national support groups that works under the umbrella of the MS Society. It's to raise that awareness so that doctors, clinicians do understand that there are some cultural issues. And even we, we know now that, for example, the um, the disease path of, for example, black people who have MS mm -hmm. can be different to somebody who is Caucasian and who has right. MS. Right. Um, there hasn't been that kind of research yet within the, right. within the Asian community. And that's something yeah. which I think really needs to be done. Um, I consider myself to be a British Asian, you know, mm -hmm. and so I, but I understand that there may be things which may affect my disease course, may affect the way that I'm understood by doctors, which is specific to me being Asian, and which mm -hmm. make a difference. Um, so I would say those are probably two, um, two things which are, you know, like I said, having the NHS and also the sheer multiculturalism of the UK and of our MS community, I think, are, are a couple of things which are um, quite unique to the United Kingdom, also probably very different to, for example, Stanker's experience in, in Romania. Yeah. If, if I may add something, uh, sure. while I, I, I totally agree with Trishna, and um, I feel like it's very difficult to pinpoint exactly what are those um, symptoms or specifics of um, different cultures, 
it, if you think about it, every person that has MS is different from the next one. Even in Romania, where most of us are Caucasians, okay, but everybody has such a different course of uh, MS that mm -hmm. I don't know if you can categorize. I mean, there are the the four categories of MS, of course, but every person is so different and reacts so differently to uh, the environment, to the treatment, to I don't know. <laughs> you you can never tell uh, the outcome of of MS in in the long run for somebody. You cannot predict anything, so it's very yeah. difficult to pinpoint those specifics that are for a, a certain um, race or call or culture or anything. It's very difficult, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and I would agree it is difficult. You know, I think, you know, the biggest question, which is a lot of the reason why I do research focused on MS, for instance, in Black Americans or in the Black community, is because there are some research that suggests that outcomes are different, right? So when we see in the research... Long, in the long term. Yeah, so that yeah. long-term outcomes like disability may be more severe. And so the big question is, you know, is there some underlying, you know, difference in genetics, right? Because the genetics are a little bit different. We're mostly the same, right? <laughs> Slightly different. Yeah. Um, but, it, it, or is the issue more social determinants of health, like socioeconomic things, which dynamics can be very different in different parts of the world. And so I think, you know, the focus is not necessarily to try to, I mean, so ideally in a perfect world, we would be able to predict how someone's going to do, right? So everyone's looking for that marker to tell us, yeah. you know, Stanka will respond to this medicine, Trishna will respond to that medicine. But when we see kind of trends, I think the question becomes, is there something that we're missing that's unique to this community um, that may tell us about the whole MS community, right? So the goal is not just studying small groups of people to treat people differently, but could we look at, for instance, this characteristic of this group and see if maybe finding out what's causing that outcome can affect or help everybody who has MS, you know? So I think the goal of, of any kind of looking at certain groups is, is to help the whole group, um, but also to help the whole of everybody um, who's yeah. dealing with the condition. So let's switch gears again and talk a little bit about MS in the 21st century, how I got to meet you wonderful ladies. Um, it is a very unique group of uh MS advocates, people living with MS. There are researchers, there are physicians um, who are part of the group, nurses um, and others. And it is one of the first groups, I mean, I do a lot of listening, but I'm telling you, since I've been a part of this steering committee, I have done an extreme amount of listening and I've learned so much um, from you ladies and others who are living with MS around the world. And so one of the cool things about it is that there are people living with MS. There are also, you know, healthcare practitioners and we come together, we pick a topic um, after we vote on the topic. Sometimes we get outvoted, sometimes we don't, um, but we pick a topic. We focus on that topic. We develop like a research question. We explore that question and then we try to come up with an intervention. And it is one of the most unique experiences I've ever been a part of. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved and, you know, um, some of the great uh, things that have come out of that work. Should I start? Yeah, <laughs> I'll let you start. Go ahead and start, Because you've been on there longer Sorry. than I. Yeah. Um, so well, I, um, is our veteran, our veteran uh, <laughs> member. I'm not that veteran, but I, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I've, I've been in the steering group longer than, than you have. Uh, so I was uh, actually recruited in this uh, steering group. Um, I was a, 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 an, um, in an international uh, event for global ambassadors for MS. It was in Boston. Mm -hmm. um, and I was doing a speech on, on the scene. And I, I guess I impressed somebody. And they, uh, somebody from the MS in the 21st century. And they approached me and uh, asked me to join this uh, group that actually felt uh, like... It, it was surreal because it's a group of uh, both neurologists and uh, I mean healthcare professionals and people with MS coming together, joining ideas, everybody listening to each other, and mm -hmm. um, you felt like you had a voice from um, speaking mm -hmm. from a, an MS patient point of view. Because from uh, my experience, from Romania, from where I am, you tend as a patient, as an MS patient, you tend to leave everything that's related to your disease 
up to the neurologist, to the healthcare mm -hmm. professional's uh, decision. He knows best, he tells you everything you have to do, you just sit back, you take the second uh, gear and you just wait for them to, to direct you. But um, like we talked about this uh, even earlier today, you have to take charge of your own condition and you, you can, it doesn't matter that it, it doesn't mean that you are uh, overstepping into the physician's uh, place, but you have to take charge of yourself and you have to be informed. It's your responsibility to get informed about your disease and to know what you're actually talking to when you're going into the uh, neurologist's office. So it was very different from the background that I came um, to actually see that uh, healthcare professionals listens, listen to my opinion and they ask me how do I see this issue and how do I see the other one and just joining um, ideas together. I think that's amazing and the results um, are really great and I think would could help the uh, entire community of um, people with MS uh, while dealing with, um, with their healthcare professional in communication especially because that's what we, we are trying to do there in the steering group. We try to gap that communication. We try to fill that communication gap between um, the two parties. So um, that's how I joined them. And it's been, it's been a really nice uh, experience for me. Um, it's great to work uh, with them. And I know we've developed some communication tools in the steering group that uh, I think Trishna can tell us more. Some of them have been implemented in the UK. I'm sorry they haven't in Romania so far. <laughs> it's very difficult. I think the language is also a barrier here. And um, it's, there are so many other barriers. But yeah. I'm, I'm glad to see things are moving. And I'm just hopeful that um, we can reach a broader community um, and just expand our tools to everybody that needs them, actually. Awesome. So, awesome. So tell us a little bit about some of the tools, um, you know, which I know that both of you are very vocal about, um, you know, what you think in terms of if we're going in the right direction, if there are other things that we need, um, because really a lot of it, a lot of the work we do is focused on the doctor, patient or healthcare provider, patient communication. And I think we all have realized that there's some gaps. As a doctor, there are some things that we think we're saying that we're not really saying there's some things that we think we're addressing that's not coming across. Um, and there are some things that people with MS want to talk about that maybe we don't want to talk about. And so, you know, I think it's really been an eye opening experience. So if you want to talk about maybe your top two favorite projects that have come out of yes. it, uh, I would, I would choose. Okay. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I can tell you my opinion. Because um, okay. while for me personal, I think my MS priorities is the mm -hmm. most useful one because it's like mm -hmm. um, um, a note that you pre-settled uh, before going to the healthcare professional. He in one second can see your history. He can see when you had your last relapse, what treatment are you on, and he doesn't need to fill in the gaps, um, sort of to speak. So I think that's a really good organizer. Uh, mm -hmm. So I like that. But um, what I find very, very useful, and I think at least here in Romania, where I, like I said, um, people with MS still need to be empowered about uh, taking control of their disease, of their condition, um, is the MS, um, the commitment, the MS commitments. Because that really gives, um, it's like a contract, sort of to say, I like to say it like it's a contract with two sides. The healthcare professional is the one providing the healthcare, but the MS patient doesn't mean he's just the receiver. Right. He has obligations himself. He, he needs to monitor himself. He needs to adhere to the treatment. He needs to get informed. He also has some responsibilities. And that, that's the commitment that they share, both of them, that they both care about the, the MS. So I find that that could be the most helpful one. The, these awesome. are my top priorities, my, awesome. my top awesome. tools. Awesome. And your Sorry, top? Trisha. That's okay. Yeah. No, your top two, Trisha. Before um, so I have to, um, I have to agree with um, with Sanka actually, um, uh, particularly around um, the MS commitments. Um, I think it's very easy to just 
let your neurologist, your MS nurse, your healthcare professionals to just take charge and do everything. But I do feel that there should be shared decision making. You have to take responsibility for yourself and your own healthcare. And what this does is it encourages that. And actually, all of the tools and the resources which are produced by MS in the 21st century. They, that's what they do. They really encourage shared decision making. They're helping patients to take that step and to build the confidence and have those tools in which they can go to their healthcare professional and say, I want to be part of this decision. I want to be able to take some responsibility. Um, and it creates that two way dialogue. The other thing which I think is really great that MS in the 21st century does is that um, out of all the survey because you know people will often see on all of our social media actually we share surveys um, mm -hmm. and things like that and what happens to all of that information is that we you know that it all gets studied and analyzed and then reports are produced and manuscripts for example for journals and it's presented at conferences and things like that. So it's not about whatever is produced just stays within a small community. It's being shared in the wider MS community so that, you know, people from all around the world literally are able to learn from the research that MS in the 21st century is doing. And I think that's really great and also um, a really good way of encouraging particularly patients to get involved in authorship of, of research um, mm -hmm. essentially and if other people can see that that's possible they might then think oh that's something I might like to get involved in um, mm -hmm. you know I presented a poster presentation at a conference, never in a million years would I have ever thought that that was going to be possible. You know, I gave up science after the age of 16, you know, <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so things like that, I think are really great. And MS in the 21st century has done really well in terms of bringing that research to much wider audiences and much wider mm -hmm. platforms. Mm -hmm. um, so that everybody can learn from essentially from from what we're doing. One of the things I love, though, and I do have to mention this, is when we're um, when we're having our steering group meetings. What I love seeing is the debates that go on between the healthcare professionals. Oh yes, lots of <laughs> it's debates. It's absolutely brilliant. We can't agree on anything. <laughs> exactly. We, and, we and do it, eventually, but, but everybody yeah, has their own opinion. That's exactly that's exactly what I love about this group that you can have your own opinion and everybody listens to your opinion. It's not like the healthcare professionals don't dismiss you just because you are Absolutely. an MS patient. Absolutely. Like uh, I know better because I went to uh, medical school. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I love it. Well, as we are coming to a close, lady, this this has been an amazing, amazing discussion. Like I said, I wish I could carry you around in my pocket when I go give talks because you're saying everything. I promise. I promise I haven't paid them to say this stuff. They are just amazing <laughs> advocates. Um, but, you know, as we close, tell us just why don't you for the people out there, give one piece of advice that you would give to someone who is starting out on their journey with MS or at a transition in their journey with MS. Just one piece of advice that, um, you know, you think would be valuable to folks out there. So I think I would say that, so I know, I know you said that you would love to, to carry us around in your pocket because we're so <laughs> positive and things like that. It's, it's not always like that. And, you know, there are times when it is hard and you do feel down and you think, how am I going to get through this? I think the important thing is, is to build the support around you. Make sure that you have people around you that you can talk to, that you can lean on, because on those bad days, I have bad days, you know, and it's not that, uh, yes, people think I'm positive all the time, but actually, no, I, you know, both Sanka and I, we're, we're still human and right. we have our bad days. And, you know, right. there are times when things are tough. But what I think we've both done is we've built really good support networks around us so that when we're having those bad days, we have people that we can lean on and places that we can go 
so that those bad days don't become a forever day, if that makes mm. sense. And that support is invaluable. So I would mm-hmm. say, yeah, if you're just for diagnosed or you're going through a difficult time, that's what you need to do because that's what will get you through. Absolutely. Stanka? Yeah, I, really love, I, I love what Trishna just said. Uh, that's very, very true. Also, um, what I would would uh, recommend, what I would uh, advise anybody that's recently diagnosed is to take a deep breath and uh, take their time to adjust to having MS. I remember when I was diagnosed, I was so desperate to get the treatment, get everything done, like it was a disease I would want to get rid of as soon as possible. You have to understand that MS, it's something you have for your entire life. It's not going anywhere. Uh, You can take a deep breath and relax and figure everything out. You don't have to figure everything out uh, right at the moment of the diagnosis. I wanted to quit my job. I wanted to do everything right then and just figure out what I'm going to do. I was so desperate with uh, uh, dealing with everything, you know. You, You can take it easy and it will be okay. I was very scared of not having a relapse immediately immediately after diagnosis. It's okay if you have a relapse, you're going to have more relapses and they're all going to pass and you're you're going to be fine. I mean, if you're yeah. on the right course, but just take a deep breath, I think, and try to take your time. Okay. And Got it. So take out. a deep breath and build a support network. Amazing and very timely advice. Ladies, tell us where to find you on social media so that folks can look you up and follow you. I think Trishna is very vocal on social media. Yes, (laughs) Trishna is very vocal on social media. (laughs) So, um, yeah, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, just search for Trishna Baradia. My handle on Twitter and Instagram is at Trishna Baradia. On Facebook, I'm Trishna Baradia 2015. Um, so very easy. I think there's only one Trishna Baradia out there, actually. I have done a few <laughs> searches. I've never found another one of me. So, never yeah, very it. easy to find one. me. <laughs> gotcha, well, gotcha, I'm, gotcha. I'm also on Facebook um, mm-hmm. and Twitter uh, as, as Tanka, but I'm also, I also have a handle for Central Smile, for the Smile Center, like I said. Okay. On Twitter is Smile Center, I think, and on Facebook it's Central Smile because it's in Romanian. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Facebook page. But awesome. you, you uh, people can contact me um, personally. I all, I love awesome. to talk to people. I I think my phone number is actually listed on my on the website on <laughs> my center, and I get I get a lot of phone calls from people I from Romania that need advice. That's yeah. amazing. That is amazing. Well, ladies, it has been absolutely my pleasure to chat it up with you today. And um, I look forward to seeing you at our next meeting when we can meet in person. Everyone Hopefully. have a wonderful day. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so everyone have a wonderful day. And thank you for uh, watching Brain Chat.